0: Now, before we begin, just a couple of things. Firstly, we recommend that you use a pair of headphones for this podcast for a truly immersive listening experience. Secondly, this episode contains themes intended only for a mature audience. Discussion is advised. Also, trigger warnings for sexual harassment and sexual abuse.
1: Welcome to episode 8 of 2 Please. I'm your host, Abhund. And I'm your co-host, Rohit. So while in last week's episode... We spoke about our first exposure to uh, something that scared us. I wouldn't necessarily categorize everything in horror, but today we're going to uh, take a, a deeper look at the nature of horror uh, as a sort of cinema, what uh, works for it, what doesn't work, what makes it tick. And we're going to do this in the lens or through the lens of uh, arguably one of the greatest authors uh, of horror cinema in the current uh, in movie industry, which is Ari Aster.
0: Yeah, so Ari Aster broke out into the mainstream in 2018 with his movie Hereditary, or *Hereditary*, depending on where you are in the country, where you are in the world. He then followed up with uh, another breakout uh, hit in 2019, uh, *Midsummer*, starring Florence Pugh. Now, both films are highly accomplished, and Ari Aster is definitely one of the more auto-directors that have come out of uh, Hollywood of late. So on this episode, we will explore Ari Aster's past filmography, uh, specifically his student films, and explore themes that continue to sustain throughout his work and also came to prominence during both his feature
1: films. Uh, That being said, uh, let's get on with the show. Before we get into uh, discussing his filmography, I kind of wanted to set context Sorry to sound very business speak like but uh, I wanted to set context for the discussion. For me what you know the ideal way a horror setup works is obviously first up you try and establish your your setting, your location, your the the culture or your the society that you're kind of setting the story in. You you establish your characters and their motivations. So now you have the viewer invested in the set of people in this space and time. The next thing you then do, uh, in, my, in my opinion, the next thing you then do is kind of bring in these little peculiarities or differences from what somebody would consider normal. It need not be very, uh, what do you say, it need not be very prominent. It could be subtle differences, but something to subconsciously kind of put the viewer at unease uh, because, you know, you expect certain things to happen a certain way. And straight off the bat, you kind of have your viewer a little off balance. And uh, so that kind of brings in the horror at a more subconscious level. And then, like I said, uh, you, you have your character motivations, you can try and amp them up to, uh, you know, the perverse extreme. Like that's something, again, we'll see a lot in Ari Aster's works as well. He takes an understandable human emotion and takes it to the extreme where it is unrecognizable, it's perverse and it's, it's something disgusting and, you know, kind of, you can feel it at a very base level and it affects you more because you recognize that this is something familiar twisted beyond recognition. I don't know if I'm, if I'm able to convey it uh, well, but I, for me, when that happens in a horror story, one, obviously relatability is a lot higher and the impact of the, the twist of the knife, so to speak, is also that much stronger. Lastly, the final layer that I would put on the story. See, up to this point, you don't even need an entity, maybe a ghost or whatever you want to call it. You don't even need an entity to kind of uh, unsettle the viewer or make the story horrific. You have your human characters capable of doing these things. But then, if you want to kind of you know bring the whole thing together, you want to package it as traditional horror. You can bring in a layer of your cultural traditions or folklore and stuff like that. That kind of uh, you know binds it or brings it all together. And as I was thinking this, uh, honestly, this was some uh, thing I was kind of thinking independently. And it only dawned upon me when I kind of, you know, put this package of thought together. Like, wow, there's so much of it that Ari Aster already does, which is why I feel his movies have an impact on you on a very fundamental base level. It's not something you watch in the theater and, you know, he, he barely employs jump scares. Like that's a crutch.
0: You know, but um, well, another thing I really notice what Ari Aster does is that he employs issues that you and I face as I mean, alluding to the point that you made, issues that we're familiar with. Like hereditary is more is, is something to do with it, it's a family issue, a family issue that spirals horribly out of control. Midsummer is a is a breakup movie, and once again, that spirals horribly out of control. Uh, the strange thing about the Johnsons, which is which is a short film. He's, again, a family drama, but completely like... it. It's that one... It, it is, in a sense, they're all similar. There's a pattern to the kind of films he does. But there's that one element that goes left instead of going right, which flips the entire premise onto its head. And when, when that happens, he doesn't just... That's not where it ends with Ari Aster films. He tends to push the envelope as much as he possibly can. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, some of the films he worked on uh, during his time at AFI and and beyond, just before he branched out and made his first feature with *Hereditary* or *Hereditary*, depending. On, I don't know. I think I'm gonna keep saying this repeatedly through the episode, <laughs> but p- pick your pronunciation, I suppose.
1: So, shall we start? Yes. Which Which of his short films do you wanna tackle first? Which nightmare do you choose? I think let's let's go with *Bo*. Um,
0: *Bo* is possibly one of the more shorter. His probably his nice. shortest short film, yeah, and uh, it stars oh, also Mayer. one of his first, what? yeah, one of his first. It looks the most amateur ish yeah. out yeah. of uh, all the ones that he put that he's made, and it tells the story about this man who is in an apartment and he's about to leave, uh, to, to go see his mother. And as he's about to leave, so he realizes he's forgotten something, so he rushes back up, leaving the key in the lock. When he comes down, he realizes the keys have disappeared, and uh, the hallway looks a lot more frightening than it than it did previously, and thus begins this this descent into paranoia, fear, um, and it just starts to escalate with each passing minute.
1: True, and um, in terms of style of shooting, obviously very early days for him. He's still learning. He's kind of getting his his signature look. I mean, obviously he's nowhere close to it yet. And you can also see those sort of, you know, cinematographic flourishes, typical of film school where, you know, you're trying to be uh, flashy. You have, a, uh, there's a scene where he's closing his bag. This camera suddenly zooms into the zip. It's not really adding much to the story. It's that flourish that a lot of these enthusiastic, uh, when you're young and you want to kind of make your mark, you're doing things in a different way. So in terms of, uh, Style of how the movie looks, it's 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 a far cry from what his movies look like now. In fact, I would say today he's again one of those directors who you you can tell uh, has a a sharp eye for detail. He's really into framing. Those things aren't really present in Bo. Something that is still uh, a common thread between Bo and even say something like a midsummer is like you said, right, his ability to take an emotion and ratchet it up to 11. Like, there is no middle ground with Larry Aster. He'll he'll take, so here, like you said, paranoia is the underpinning emotion because he's left his key and when he comes back down, he sees it's missing. Most people might, obviously, it's it's cause for concern, but then he starts putting a doorbell, whatever, a bell over his door. He starts putting rat traps. And you slowly start seeing this person lose their mind. And slowly, I think, with, with the passage of the movie, you start seeing uh, the narrative also shift from uh, a practical realm to a more fantastical one. I think that's kind of made uh, is supposed to represent his unraveling, uh, him losing his mind mm-hmm. and he's seeing things that aren't there, uh, people saying th- things to him that they probably aren't. And it's just his mind playing tricks on him. It's a very simple movie. Like you said, I think less than seven minutes. So not much narratively that even you can, that you can even put down in that time. But Maybe. there's a great scare in, uh, yeah. in there as well. There's a great scare where he's, he's, he's
0: prepared this contraption to, okay, spoiler warning for those who are checking out Bo. He's uh, skip ahead just, just by a minute. I think you should, we should be fine. Yeah. If you just skip, skip ahead by a minute. Yeah. So spoiler warning, FYI, <laughs> so there's this section where he obviously he's fully consumed by his paranoia and he prepares his contraption as a sort of uh, defense mechanism to, to be used if somebody uh, enters his home. And as he's sitting on his chair, like there's a shot of him with his back to uh, his living room and his balcony, and he keeps cutting back and forth. And as he's waiting, waiting, somebody opens the door from the balcony and attacks him from the back. And that's in a, in a student film that that already looks quite amateurish that was a moment that really got me it like to a point where i was like oh my god okay so evidently this guy even though his his skills weren't as polished as they possibly are now he had that in him to like to know what scares an audience where to insert a scare without it being forced like most jump scares are most jump scares are i mean like the, the the employment of a jump scare is usually the cheapest way uh, to get a reaction out of your audience. I'm not saying it's it's a wrong technique. It's just that it's fairly simple to do it—a uh, loud noise and just a scary face popping in from somewhere. Blumhouse films have made it. Uh, some of the Blumhouse films have made it almost a uh, a standard uh, in in all of their films. It's like
1: it's just one they of the things they have story between jump scares.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So the scares that Ari Aster inserts into his films in concept are, are actually scary like in, in its essence it's all it is a terrifying experience if somebody were to like break into my room right now so open the door and someone unrecognizable walked into my room I would be terrified because obviously he got through a set of doors to get to where I am and I'm sure you would have the same thing as well so this is do you know where I am Abhin?
1: I don't know where are you? open your door <laughs> my door is translucent so if you were there i us see you <laughs> okay. <laughs> sorry sorry continue you just made that point i had to fuck with you
0: <laughs> no but okay yeah uh i think bo was was the start of something really special and uh, we'll get to the other films as we progress
1: true and just to uh close on one point that you made which is uh his jump scares originate from what he's written. I think that also comes from the fact that he himself has said he was always a writer first and a director second. He's always written his uh, own scripts and uh, screenplays. So I think when when you approach filmmaking from that angle, as maybe as compared to a cinema cinematography or visually driven angle, your your stories tend to be a little a lot more fleshed out. Your characters here are a lot more fleshed out. You're not looking at Cheap visual or audio tricks to put the point across, which again is a theme that's recurrent throughout his filmography. I'd say.
0: So, shall we uh, move on
1: to the next one? Yeah. So, short short film. So, short section on that. Let's mm-hmm. let's move on to which one do you want to tackle next?
0: The next one we're looking at uh, was several years after Asta graduated from AFI. This is, I think, almost like he ended up doing a short film for Vice called Munchausen. and there's almost a Pixar-like, dreamy vibe to it. And it it feels like something that you'd see at the start of a Pixar film, one of those, one of those Pixar shots. But it isn't. It obviously starts off... There's, there's, a, there's a very strong... Especially when I was watching Munchausen, the opening bits of Munchausen give you a very Toy Story, Andy going to college kind of vibe. Especially Toy Story 3, if I am not mistaken. Um, and then... It's again a problem. It, it deals with a mother uh having an emptiness syndrome. This is uh and this is this is a, a problem that I know a lot of people have had. My mother had it herself when I first left for, for grad school. She was perfectly fine till we got to the airport, but when she according to her, when she got back home, only then then did she have that uh sense of emptiness. And I guess the emptiness mm-hmm. syndrome is, is quite common uh, for most mothers, especially when their children depart or leave home. Um to, for any sort of purpose. That is the problem. And then it begins to escalate once more.
1: Again, like I said, classic Ari has to play. He he takes an emotion that you can relate to. And okay, in this case, empty nest syndrome kind of turning into Munchausen by proxy where uh, the mother's willing to go to any lengths to kind of keep her kid home. So basically what happens is when she realizes her kid is going to leave for college then find somebody there get married and essentially move on with his life that doesn't sit right with her so she decides to uh, poison her uh, child the idea is to not kill him obviously the idea is to keep him ill keep him home so that she you know he can always be around or rather she can always be around him but things go all right and it it doesn't end well it's uh, it's, a, it's a very heartbreaking uh, story, and, and yeah, the other thing is there's no dialogue for the entirety of the short film. It's it's pretty much a, uh, it's pretty much a montage. Like I was saying, he he takes that emotion of the mother not wanting her kid to go, and then ch- changes it into something dirty, disgusting, and you see the kid like kind of coughing his life out, and he's weak. The doctor comes in and checks on him, and the mother's sad, also obviously she it's it's it isn't playing out the way she wanted it to play out. She didn't want him to die, but uh, throughout the the second half of the short film, you're just left with this sense of unease. It's not as scary as Bo or uh, or as scary as say Hereditary or Midsummer. It's it's more of a human drama than there's no supernatural element to it. There's there's no allusion to supernatural elements at all uh, in any angle. But yeah, it, it's more uneasy because it, it's a lot more plausible and very likely also happening in a lot of homes. The sad truth of it being Edmund Chosen by Proxy is is a unfortunately common occurrence.
0: It, uh, so two things here. Yeah. I think the boy, if I'm not mistaken, he was in the Lemony Snicket movie.
1: Ah, oh, That's where I've seen him.
0: Yeah, that's, that's kind of where I was like, this, this, is, this is Klaus from Lemony Snicket because he looked I still, I haven't yeah. checked this up, still, but I'm pretty sure it's him. Yeah. Um, so, and uh, the second thing is like, so this isn't the first piece of media that we've seen on on, on Munchausen Manch- on by proxy. It also reminded me a lot of Sharp Objects, which is a great recommendation. I have, if people haven't checked it out already, it's on HBO, Hotstar, depending on wherever you are. Uh, and once again, it with Munchausen by proxy it's not a major uh, plot point it's not a, not a major spoiler it's it's almost like a minor spoiler because there are far more fucked up things happening in uh, in that world so definitely while while you listen to this and if you want to check out a show that deals with similar themes sharp objects is a great recommendation from my end another thing i noticed about uh, manchasson was and also if you were to watch if you've seen midsummer at this point you will notice that uh There's a lot of things from Munchausen that are carried over into the feature film. Especially the the title card, uh, the fact that it's shot in broad daylight, very little darkness. Astor chooses to portray this and his second feature in broad
1: daylight. Still unnerving you in the process. I think he does a phenomenal job uh, while doing it. So yeah, that that was us on Munchausen. I think an interesting movie. uh, Chronologically, probably his the latest order, the later of his short films before he got into mainstream filmmaking, the next movie that the short movie that we'll be getting into was actually his graduation movie from, from when he graduated uh, from AFI. So chronologically we're taking a step back, but we wanted to kind of save this movie for last in his short filmography because uh, we wanted to kind of ratchet up the, the mind fuckery in his <laughs> short filmography. And uh, I think Abhin also will not disagree of the three short films that we did view, this is by far the most what the fuck, what is happening here in terms of storyline. So I think, I uh, mean, first uh, thoughts.
0: Yeah, so um, I read about how this film came to be and what they were discussing was they were trying to see what taboos are present in society. And they stumbled upon this, this taboo that Okay, fair spoiler warning, obviously, it's like, yeah. there are, there are, and this is also a trigger warning for some, because this, I, I don't know where you're listening to it, and people may have possibly experienced right. like this in their right. lives, because uh, we're about to talk about uh, harassment and, uh, and abuse, because they are key plot elements in the story about the strange thing about the Johnsons. So, when Ari Astor was discussing the film, uh, was was when Ari Astor was discussing his thesis project and he was bouncing around ideas to get stuff made, he wanted to tackle a particular subject that was considered taboo and also spin a, a slightly horror element to it without any supernatural uh, elements added to it as well. And then they stumbled upon the, this idea of a son abusing his father or harassing or sexually harassing his father. So the opening to the strange thing about the Johnsons is it opens up like once a, a lot like Munchausen does where it's it's bright colors as this boy in his room. I mean, the, the opening shot is, is the this, this old boy masturbating into a picture. And the father walks into the room and he tells him it's all right. It's a thing that everybody does. It's going to be okay. And the father leaves. And then you realize, and as the boy puts the picture down, you realize he is masturbating to the father, <laughs> which is, which is quite, I mean, obviously. Weird. Right off the bat.
1: Yeah, They're right off the bat. Thrown off.
0: Yeah, and in the first three minutes, you're just like, what the hell? And Harry asked her, did this like, almost like a fuck you to AFI? Because he was like, AFI is such a hardline school and they have these models. <laughs> and I just wanted to challenge all of it. And very brave steps, and also I, I'm surprised it, it did go viral on the internet, which is kind of what got it, uh, which kind of got him the name, uh, or at least the exposure that he did when he was mm-hmm. when he was graduating.
1: And I think uh, a similar theme to uh, what you mentioned, which is a great point about Ari Aster, Munchausen and Mitsumar being horror movies shot in broad daylight. It's an inversion of a horror trope. Here, again, it's an inversion of a very human trope or uh, a inversion of a human reality. I wouldn't call it a trope. Sorry. Obviously there, there we've heard of a lot of cases of you have parents abusing their kids. You have uh, girls, guys being sexually assaulted or molested by their parents. I have personally never in real life come across a child abusing sexually assaulting or abusing their parent. So I think just by the the simple inversion of that dynamic itself, he's a, like I said, again, once again, he's taken an underlying human emotion to a perverse extreme. And he's also thrown you off balance. Because if your very first shot uh, or the first interaction ends with the kid putting aside his dad's photo after masturbating, you really don't know what to expect for the next 25, 27 odd minutes. And credit to Ari Astor. Again, we won't get into plot points. I don't want to because I want people to watch this movie. But the movie definitely goes places. Most of the movies wouldn't dare to go. And again, credit to him. A lot of movies might, you know, leave it at an implication. Certain questions might be implied. Certain situations might be implied. Ari doesn't leave it at implication. He addresses those questions. There are situations in the movie which might be, you know, uh, a what-if in some other director's mind. Ari has to put it on screen. I mean,
0: <laughs> it's, kudos it's, to uh, him. I mean yeah, also, also, yeah, let's not... Well, I, I don't want to glorify him for promoting shit like this, but at the same time, he's done an amazing job completely unnerving me in a space of 30 minutes, which two and a half, three-hour films have been unable to do so in the past. In for the 30 minutes, as I mentioned this prior, that I watched it, I was deeply uncomfortable with what I was seeing, uh, and it just continued to progress. And for somebody who's so young, coming out of film school, to have achieved that on an, on a minuscule budget, as well as uh, in, at a time where your uh, film language isn't really honed, like your your craft is is fairly rough. Right. This is him in his, at, at probably at like his most amateurish in the uh, form in the last 10 to 12 years and it still managed managed to have an impact on the viewer which is insane and very few directors are capable of accomplishing that and and astor is one of them
1: once again it's the script that is really delivering the gut punch here in terms of visual style it's it's not a horror movie so you don't have those visual tropes playing in you have And even in terms of the dialogue, like the son, when his mom confronts the son and says, are you still doing? It's just that, are you still doing? It's not that, are you doing this to your dad? Are you still doing? Simple word. You're just like, okay, so there's been a history of this. He's been doing this and no one's been able to kind of uh, change the son, correct the son. Simple things he's just put in, in just increasingly minute by minute, you're just more horrified at, at what what's playing out on screen so yeah while while still early days for him you could see uh, how messed up of an individual he is so before we got into this episode I really tried to see if there was any article kind of exploring his childhood because he seems to have come from a fairly vanilla background there's no there doesn't seem to be any major trauma in his life but uh, I remember the first thought I had after I finished watching uh, there's something wrong with the Johnsons. Was that, uh, do you know what is probably the most stable job in the world where you will always have income? You're never going to run out of employment. It's Ari Aster's therapist. (laughs) 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 After watching the movie, I was like, man, this guy has issues for days. (laughs) Yeah, which it is.
0: I mean, that was a thought that also crossed my mind because I was unsure as to what, like where this is coming from. Usually directors tend to pull from a source of pain in their lives. There's very little literature as to what happened to Ari Aster or why his mindset is as twisted as it is. But kudos to him. He's managing to make an impact and he's generally
1: getting audiences across the world squirming in their seats. So I guess... Lord, I think people who know about... Uh, I mean, people who know the true story of his childhood are probably locked in his basement right now. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> I, I, don't, I am not going to get in trouble. Uh, what is idea. in Ari Aster's basement? India wants to know... <laughs> Or at least we both want to know.
0: (laughs) You know, speaking of India wants to know, I kind of want to, I think this is uh, the right point to jump into Hereditary because
1: uh, I like before, I mean, I kind of want to know where you watched this film. I did not watch it in theaters because Mm. I think it got a very limited release and it probably went under the radar, at least in India for the most part. I watched it... I want to say on some platform I can't recall. Yeah, I can't recall when I watched. I remember it was at night, which to begin with was a bad decision. It was a weekend night, and uh, most of Harry Astor's stories and classic case being hereditary start off as a family story. It's inherently a family or a, a personal dynamic that is playing itself out on the screen. The mindfuckery comes into the picture later. It's just these people interacting with each other, and there's enough sadness, there's enough intrigue, there's enough—I um, wouldn't say horror, but there's enough to keep you hooked uh, onto the story. And I think that's also how hereditary starts. Which uh, is before we, you yeah, know, before we jump into hereditary,
0: I kind of want to like um, add a point that India and as a whole got screwed over when it came to the release of the film because the movie came out and was completely butchered by the censor board to a point where anapama chopra has a review out that says this is a great film but it is not the film you will be seeing because the censor That's board a... took a scalpel to uh, the film and there were so many cuts and like the ending is of this film which we will get to in the next couple of minutes was completely butchered there it it starts off at one there's a, it it cuts between certain really important aspects And then it's over. Um I'm guessing the cuts would be more towards the end, or yeah, Uh, towards I think towards the end where mm. it sets up and then like hereditary, the ending is very important
1: because it ties in a lot of loose ends. Um but oh, you're saying they cut the ending out entirely, then how is the movie going to make sense? Exactly. Like so the ending is is chopped bits. Stupid Uh, NBFC.
0: Yeah, so it was. Um, and I remember, like, people coming out of the theater and saying, "Oh, wow, I have, that's the dumbest movie I've ever seen in my life," and they were, were, were quite yeah, this stuff about I it. can imagine. And I was getting reviews saying, "Oh God, this thing really unnerved me," and um, you know what? And like, just um, it, like it scared the pants out of me. And it was, it was a really sad film. And one day, I was cat sitting for for a for a friend. In an apartment, it was it was sitting and I had some work to do. Finished. I ordered some food. All good, and I was like, okay, now I have I have like no work. I don't have school in the morning. I don't have college in the morning. I can probably watch a film and and uh, unwind for the rest of the of the evening. <laughs> unwind.
1: Uh. <laughs> and you picked Hereditary. <laughs>
0: and I picked Hereditary because it was on my watch list. It was on my watch list for a while, and this was I say it came out March twenty eighteen by about uh this, jan 2019 it was on prime it was it was on a, any mm. streaming platform available i put it in and I, and then i started um i started watching this i had very little context as to what happened in this movie i just uh there is a family there is a doll maker uh who has a issue and it starts off with uh with the uh with the doll maker's mother's funeral and that in actually i'm, I'm not going to talk about I think that what we'll do now, Aru, is that we'll we'll discuss mm. these films without spoilers, both Hereditary and Midsummer, back to back, and then we'll get to a section where we there's an explicit spoiler warning, so we can jump into details about the film. So what I'll what we what we should do now is get initial thoughts on both. What are right, your opinions right. on Hereditary and Midsummer, and what do you prefer? Which one do you prefer of the two?
1: Okay, cool. So initial thoughts on Hereditary. Again, um, deep like you said, deeply unnerving. The movie is a lot more atmospheric than maybe a traditional horror. I would say all things combined, there are about maybe four or five jump scares in the movie. So it, it, again, doesn't really employ visual or audio gimmicks. I I mean, not to sound derogatory, but it doesn't employ those tactics to kind of uh, keep you on the edge of the seat. Uh, for the most part, at least for the first hour of the movie, it's the interactions that the the family members have with each other. Like like you said, it kicks off with the funeral, and straight off the bat, you get the feeling that you know while on the surface of it, this this seems like a very functional family. Uh, you have two people married together. It, you know they they're not divorced; they're still married. You have two kids. Uh, obviously, one of the the the, the daughter. You can see physically something's off with her. Again, that's one of those things I was saying, right? Just take one element and make it slightly off. It doesn't have to be completely crazy, but uh, again, no fault of hers, but her behavior or the way she looks kind of puts you at unease. You're wondering what, what's up with her, but save for that, the rest of the family looks okay. You have two kids, you have a, you have a couple, they're doing pretty well off. They have a nice house. But five ten minutes into the movie, you can see there is a, a sort of distance within the family. Uh, people aren't talking to each other. Everyone's sort of doing their own thing in their room. Even the doll making that Tony Collette's character does, uh, the doll house making that she does. She has her own studio, and obviously she's busy working in it. But there's an isolation that each of them are in. Even her son, uh, played by Alex Wolf, again. Okay, I was confused. An- I was
0: like, I was like, is that Nat or Alex? Because we're one of two. It's, one it's played, one played, uh, light in Death Note and one plays <laughs> in Jumanji. He's in Jumanji. No, 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 no he's in Alex Wolf A- is in Jumanji. Oh, really? Okay. Oh yeah, he is. Yeah. yeah. Alex Wolf is, but who is in, who uh, is in, Paper Towns, Nat Wolf? Uh, I think Paper Towns is Nat Wolf. Okay, cool. They look so similar. Yeah. yeah.
1: Mm. So, uh, again, great, uh, great performances by everyone across the board. Uh, but you can, like I said, you can see this this distance. Everyone's an island of isolation of sorts. And uh, within the set, I would say Gabriel Bynes—I forgot his name—who plays mm-hmm. Tony Collett's husband—is mm-hmm. probably the most functional of Peter, the lot. He's kind, Pe- yeah. Mm-hmm. He's kind of trying to keep the family together. And uh, again, probably one of the most understanding uh, husbands I've seen on screen. Uh, who's always patient, always you know, or not just husband, a father, a, 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 a member of the family. He kind of keeps things together. So rather than that, the rest of them, you can see there's a lot of underlying, there's a lot of un- unsaid dynamic between the family. I and, think
0: uh, I think there's one. The the mother and the son have an issue because of one incident that happens in the past, uh, which they allude to yeah yeah in which i think we'll we'll get to but in but in terms of performances uh i'm sorry to cut you off i i mm-hmm. think tony collette was robbed of an oscar nomination in this movie she was robbed of an oscar i would say oscar yeah like she she was the best performance
1: uh in a film that year but uh, yeah and i mean to uh, speak about her performance we won't get into spoilers there is a particular scene in the movie I think when it comes to hereditary whenever somebody says do uh, what do you think about that scene everyone knows what that scene is yeah uh again we won't get into that in this no, section we, we'll there definitely... there are two
0: scenes i would say one is more uh, oral one is visual
1: i'm talking about the oral one yeah
0: yeah the audio the, one the so, audio I mean, that's one, yeah.
1: where tony tony Colette really shines and uh And for that scene itself, she should have won all the awards. Yeah. That are out there. Uh, But yeah, so obviously, so the first hour, hour and half of the movie takes time to build. It's it's slowly built this uneasiness in the movie. You kind of have contrasting or conflicting opinions about family members. There's things you like about a member, but there's also things that they're not doing right. You're like, okay, this, this, you're invested in the story. You're curious. You're wondering where this is going, right? Like, You've built okay, you've built a dynamic, but where are you taking that dynamic? And then the last forty, forty-five odd minutes of the movie is just an insane roller coaster, right? Things just go off like off the charts, insanity, man. Like that's when you're just like, and the payoff, like all of the dynamic that's been built, this the characters that you've come to understand the payoff is amazing
0: is i think in terms of like a film hooking you the way hereditary does is just and also like as you mentioned the payoff it it is terrifying at the same time and it's not overdone um, there are each scare is earned each twist and turn is earned and i i, I can't I can't stop waxing lyrical about it because it's so—it's such a good film. It's, it's such a fun movie. And I had an experience when I was watching this and there is a, a sequence in the film that there's a lot of height and there's a lot of tension involved. It was about half past 12. Once again, made a mistake of watching this in the night. Should not have made a mistake of watching this night with a goddamn cat jumping on my head. So like, that's fine. I'd gotten accustomed to it by by this point. But as I was watching the film it, and my friend was asleep, uh and I, was, I was sat on the table she was asleep uh wherever she was there was a knock on the door and this was at half past 12 and i'm and i jump up and i freak out and then sort of she gets up because it's like who's knocking now we weren't expecting guests nothing and somebody should have like let us know if, you know like the a, a door right. will let you yeah. know if someone's coming up
1: absolutely no but
0: there's one knock, and then there's two. And I'm frozen in my seat, and I and I and then she's up and she's like, "Who is it? Who is it?" And I'm like, "And this, it's so unnerving because we're just like, oh, what? Like, what's happening?" And then a third, a fourth knock, and that's when I say, yeah, who I don't is know if it? you
1: make for the door, or are you just stuck, stuck still?"
0: No, we're all we're exactly where we are. And then we <laughs> and then we ask, and then I scream through the door saying, "Like, um, I'm like, who is it?" And somebody says, "Seamless." Uh, what's seamless seam, seamless seamless is is swiggy basically so oh, okay uh,
1: yeah I don't know uh, that
0: yeah okay. sorry sorry I'm like obviously I wanted to, <laughs> I didn't want to give you the reveal uh, this oh, is the first time you're hearing sorry. the story yeah and uh-huh. the guy had the wrong apartment uh, oh like, damn so so the seamless guy goes and like I've sunk back into my seat and I'm like should I continue I should I'm already halfway through the film screw it strap myself in and on we go. It got to like I've made about four people watch it within the next couple of weeks because I was so into it. I needed someone to discuss the, the movie with. Because with each watch, you tend to notice things uh that were hinted like that hint towards the climax of the film. And this is what uh yeah, Ariaster yeah, really yeah. excels it. He leaves excels, he leaves a breadcrumb uh like a breadcrumb trail of of clues that the audience tends to put Put together, and that kind of prepped me as we entered, as we went to watch *Midsummer*. Because I was like, okay, there are things in this film that that are present in the environment that I need to keep an eye out for. Because I know, I know exactly yeah, what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> so there are like uh, I need to. Uh, so at least when it comes to the ending, I'm I'm piecing it through, which is the most interesting aspect of an Ari Aster feature, is that you're you are actively taking everything in, including the performances and the dialogue. But at the same time, you are attuned to everything that is happening in and around these characters, be it a painting, be it a, a doormat, something or the other. Like, you're like, okay, I'm going to make a note of that, a mental note of that, a mental note of that. And boom, at the end, it all ties in together. And like, I'm like, yes, There's as much as I'm terrified, I, there's a sense of accomplishment that comes with it. Because you're like, okay, I was able to like frame, oh, this makes sense because I know that I wasn't expecting it to go in this direction. But
1: I can see why it makes sense because I piece these things together. And that's, again, an ingenious way for Ari Astra to reel the viewer in, right? Mm-hmm. You're keep observing things, keep 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 your attention focused on the movie, like absorb yourself, and then once he's like, "Motherfucker, I now have you in in the palm <laughs> of my hand? I'm going to fuck with you." And then boom, like you said, the narrative just flips on its head, and then uh, things go crazy. But so we'll, yeah, uh, I think quickly, that's that's. We'll quickly talk about Midsummer. That's our spoiler free free version of Midsummer uh, of uh, Hereditary. Let's move to Midsummer and then then let's really get into the yeah. uh, the spoilery details. Mm-hmm. So uh, very quickly on on Midsummer. So I think
0: uh, I have a lot more. Uh, I mean, once again, I have a very entertaining story about Midsummer. So when it was announced that Ari Aster had a had a film coming, and I was like, oh shit, I have to watch this and. Luckily for me, it got a theatrical like where I I was staying. It got a theatrical release, and uh, we secured tickets for the premiere. It's on a Thursday night, packed house. No clue what's about to happen. I just know these guys go for a midsummer festival. Things get uh, fucked up. It is like you know. Obviously, Endgame is the best theatrical experience I've had ever. I would say the Avengers. The first time everyone watched the Avengers together was also a great theatrical experience this could possibly be the third and pacific rim is a close fourth because pacific rim actually no i take that back pacific rim is is the best theatrical experience i've had because there were 20 people in the audience and it felt like a packed house
1: mad max fury road 1917 all right of course (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm talking about in terms of like. Oh, you're saying uh, uh, yeah. with the people you watched with, with, with the, the people, yet, I not the synod, okay, got no, it. no, no, no,
0: no. Oh, like 1917, I was howling, dude. That's not even. Uh, it was 1917 is a very emotional experience for me, and um, mm. Mad Max Fury Road was like for me an unnerving experience. It was great, but in terms of a crowd uh, taking part in a film,
1: oh, like that, uh, yeah, it,
0: yeah, I think Midsummer. Was what it was because it had everything. It had walkouts, it had people crying, it had people laughing. It was the whole gamut of emotions in a two-hour film, a two-two and a half-hour film. And no, but did you have an amazing theatrical experience, or did you like the movie? I loved the film. I really enjoyed it, and at the same time, I had a great. It was it was when two, I mean, two things come together when you, when an mm. audience really takes part in the movie, which adds to the experience because Midsummer is it's all kinds of fucked up. It's, it is, I mean, I wouldn't say it's all kinds of fucked up. It borrows heavily from classical films like The Wicker Man. And I don't think mm. it's, a, it's a spoiler when I'm, when I'm saying stuff like that because The Wicker Man did this in the, uh, in the 70s. 70s. And, yeah. And, so, and Rosemary's Baby did, did this in the 60s. For, for Hereditary mm. Rosemary's Baby is, is a very strong influence. So my suggestion to people, I mean, obviously this is me wrapping up my spoiler-free uh, review of Midsummer. It is a great way to test your relationship <laughs> I, I would um, yeah. like um, I would suggest you watch this with your partner your wife whoever it's fucking just, devious dude yeah it's, it's, it is it is like it is such a <laughs> it'll, it's such a blast because by the end of it you're like what the fuck and this could either go it's a great first date movie as well so I would like dude if you want
1: to remember a first date for the ages Midsummer is where to go Okay. For me, I watched, I hadn't watched Midsummer when it released. I watched it a couple of days ago in preparation for this episode. I didn't enjoy it as much for, I mean, these are, these are preliminary thoughts. Maybe I need to ruminate more on the movie, kind of feel it on a, on an emotional level. Maybe I didn't enjoy it as much. I, I get the story. It's trying to say, like you said, it is a drawn out breakup movie uh, probably the most fucked up breakup in the history of breakups. I don't know, maybe people do break up in weird ways. So, arguably, at the very least. And uh, so, there was this one interview I read of RP Astor. This was around the time Hereditary had come out, and he was just, I mean, after it had come out, and it, he was just working on Midsummer. And his own answers the word that he kept repeating a lot was catharsis. Uh, he He kept saying how horror. As a genre is a means for catharsis because you face your demons literally or metaphorically in the in the movie that you otherwise would want to ignore or run away from. And the only way to kind of confront and the only way to kind of get over them is to confront them and kind of deal with them. And so he kept using the word catharsis, catharsis. And for me, I think if I were to describe Mitsumar in a word, in a word, it would be catharsis. It's it's about Florence Pugh's character. Um Danny coming to terms with great personal loss and an ongoing separation. There's the background of a great personal loss and an ongoing separation and how she deals with that and how the people that they meet in when they go for the Midsummer Festival in their extremely weird way kind of help her to come to terms with it and how that all plays out. Again, won't get into spoiler territory, but uh it's it's a cathartic experience for her, and by proxy, to an extent for you. I just felt the story was a little disjointed, and also um, at the time of release, I know this happened to a lot of people because I think A twenty four did not honestly market the movie in the sense, or did not market it honestly, uh, in the sense that they marketed it more as a, a sort of pagan slasher movie, which were which was the origins of. Uh, Midsummer. The script, as in its original form, when it came to Ari Aster, was a pagan slasher movie, mm-hmm. uh, which he then layered it with the the interpersonal dynamic that he that the movie finally has. But that's how they also marketed it. It was more of a, it was marketed as a traditional pagan horror movie, which it is not. It's not. I think it's not. My Midsummer. Midsummer is not a traditional horror movie. Forget even the pagan element. It's not a traditional horror movie. It's it's. The horror is more about you—you you, uh, facing your demons and kind of dealing with grief. Again, as with *Hereditary*, but to a much greater extent in *Midsummer*, grief is the underlying emotion that drives the movie forward—the grief of the protagonist—and it it flares up or it surfaces in in parts of the movie where she has visions or she sees something or something. Uh, triggers her and she has a lot of triggers and rightfully so what she has gone through is extremely traumatic i understand that at an emotional level i just felt the screenplay didn't work out for me it, it felt mm-hmm. very disjointed and while in so he's done the same thing right it something builds up builds up builds up and then eventually the the last whatever half hour or 40 minutes of the movie it just goes off the rails and there's a payoff yeah, the same formula is applied or employed in in Midsummer as well. It's just that for me, the build up and the pay and the payoff worked a lot better in Hereditary, not so much in Midsummer because one, I couldn't relate to the characters or their situation as much. I understand a, a distant family. I don't understand kids going to Scandinavia for their PhD thesis. That to me, on the yeah. outset, is an alien situation. So I'm like, yeah, cool, whatever. And a part of you is like you know what you guys are you're doing shrooms in the middle of Sweden you you guys deserve to get what I mean you guys deserve <laughs> what's coming to you mm-hmm. uh, so and um, I don't know I, I can't really put it in words I still can't I'm still maybe processing the movie it just felt a little disjointed to me so I didn't I I wouldn't say it's a bad movie but when you come from Hereditary to watching yeah, this like, it, for mm-hmm. me it was a bit of a misgiving
0: okay so uh, I think we can. Jump into spoilers at at this point?
1: Yes, yes,
0: yes. Let's. So at this I point, just, yeah, I just, if,
1: somebody.
0: Yeah. If like, if you want to, I mean, now we will talk about spoilers at length for the next cup, at least in the 15-20 minutes, because I think yeah. we have to give each film its time of day. But yeah, but before you go, I really want to like jump on the on the point of grief and how I never like. Obviously, I, th- I thought about like she she's dealing with a lot of personal grief, a lot of um. Uh, and you know uh, there's a lot of emotional baggage she is on the verge of a breakup before she uh, goes on this trip with uh, her boyfriend and and his friends and i don't know i, I maybe it's me and i generally tend to gravitate towards uh, films where that, there's an that explora- that exploration of, of grief of uh, of loss i mean we're recording this episode the week one of my uh, favorite authors passed away and his subject matter in in itself deals a lot with with grief loneliness anxiety anger deception there's there's a there are a lot of concepts in that and i feel that's kind of what attracted me to uh hereditary so much where sorry but to midsummer so much was where there's this journey of this person who is broken at the start and and eventually starts to piece herself back together and in the end in in it's in an old ariasta way it's it's fucked up but she eventually becomes it's she becomes whole once again and she finds her place and she finds a way a way to move on. But yeah, I think it's time we got into uh, spoilers. Spoiler territory. Hereditary, let's go for it. Uh, I think we have to talk. We have to talk about the one scene in particular. So <laughs> there's there's a whole family. There's a very dysfunctional family that's not talking. It's not doing well. And uh, there's the the daughter... The son has been kept away from the grandmother for a very long time because the grandmother and the mother don't have the best relationship. The grandmother is a bit of an occultist by herself. It, it's well established earlier on in the film, yeah. And uh, she, and she was known to have made Tony Collette's brother's life hell to a point he committed suicide.
1: And there's a throwaway line uh, when she's in uh, in that group whatever the, the like, alcoholics anonymous group or yeah. counseling that mm. where Tony Colette says, my brother kept saying my mom tried to keep putting people in him mm-hmm. at that point. If you don't register the line, then you, when the, yeah. so you kind of get the whole picture, you understand. So like you said, Ari has thrown these clues for you to kind of pick up.
0: Yeah. So there's that. And then you notice how important, like the film pushes the daughter as the, as the center of the, of the entire film. I think it's all the marketing. Yeah. Sort of the marketing. I think she does play a very integral part of the story. Of course she does, but just Mm. not the way you think. Tony Nicolette, because she does, she feels guilty about not having let her son, her mother allows her grandmother to do so. Allows her her daughter to do so. Eventually what happens is um, the son takes his sister like takes his sister to a party, but and it, it is alluded to earlier on in the film that the daughter has a a, a nut allergy. Uh, while they're heading to uh, the party, there is a brief moment where they pass by this pole, and this pole has a it has a slight in, inscription on it, like a, almost like a, like a, like a symbol. So at the party, Alex Wolf is is smoking up with his friends, and uh, and the daughter is just about. Having um, is finding trying to find a way out and has a bit of cake, but the cake has nuts in it, and it kicks off her allergies, so she starts to choke. So Alex Wolf takes uh, uh, takes her, rushes, puts her in the car, and rushes back home, only to find a deer carcass. and And the girl is struggling for air, so she lowers the window and she's like gasping for air. And this is the point where there's a deer carcass on the road, and Alex Wolf swerves, and the daughter's and the sister's face makes contact with a pole and then there is silence because you don't know what has happened I mean obviously you have a fair inclination you, you but you don't know the visual aspect of it because uh, yeah, he doesn't visually he,
1: confirm it yeah.
0: yeah, until he goes back home he parks the car and then goes up to his room and just stays awake the entire night and then you hear the, the scene you were referring to earlier, Tony. And, and, the, and the
1: next scene, the, the scene, the continuity is so amazing. So they show him get into bed, and like pull up the covers. He's not sleeping, obviously. the 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 frame is still centered on his face. He's mm-hmm. like tears streaking, tear streaked eyes. And you just see the light change from night to day in, in the background. the The frame is still on his face. The frame is still on his face, and you see Tony Collette speaking in the background. Door opens. She goes to the car. The frame is still on his face when you hear her discover the body and there's this guttural scream of shock oh, anguish sad, yeah. grief, anguish all of it and you see the reaction of that scream on his face so for like a good minute this is just his face in the frame and that scene that one minute scene itself is it's, a, it's like a story in itself I I love that scene and then it cuts to the daughter's
0: head on by the side of the road being eaten by yeah. hands so yeah it's just yeah and it's and then it <laughs> Custer, Tony Clark grieving. And then possibly my favorite scene in the entire film is when they're having dinner. and.
1: Don't you swear at me, you little shit. Don't you ever raise your voice at me. I am your
0: mother. Do you understand? All I do is worry and slave and defend you. And all I get back is that fucking face on your face. That felt very visceral because it's like, it is an argument, not even an argument because I, I cannot have arguments with my mother. That is the end of the road for me. But that amount of anger has been directed to me in the past, and I was like, and I went, "Oh my god!" And it all—it was like deep down in my psyche. I was like, "Oh, okay." No, I'm evidently not the only one. This is a very uncomfort- uncomfortable Yeah, yeah. Even Probably in my stop. head, I was like, oh. dude, you're treading on thin ice. <laughs> yeah. Like, maybe it's just an, an Indian mentality thing We are like, okay, huh. And at this point, like in the film, like we're,
1: we're like, okay, so the daughter is dead. Now what? Then exactly. You because you, all this time, you've just been like, the daughter was at the heart of it all. She's dead. Yeah. Where does it go from here?
0: Now what? So like you're left with an, a good of the film still to go? Mm. Then you realize that the daughter was just a means to an end for this group of occultists that the grandmother was involved in is that when the mother is grieving, uh, a friend of Mm. the grandmother offers support saying my, my son also died and you won't believe. And then they set it up there. She attends one of those meetings And then they set it up there and she played that, that lady plays the long game where she gets close with this lady, uh, gets close with her and then says, you should try a seance because Hmm. that way you will be able to, uh, like I was able to speak to my son. I'm sure you'll be able to speak to your daughter, but it ends up being a ritual (laughs) to summon something far
1: more, Sinister. Nightmarish. Yeah. Far yeah, far more sinister. No, and then um, again I'm not very clear if I know the cult's final aim is to get the, the demon Paimon into mm. that's the demon that you know the, the cult is kind of worshipping. The end game is to kind of get Paimon into a male body because Paimon prefers a male body. Uh, I I can't exactly recall if this this the seance uh plays into them inviting Paimon into their life and thereby giving him permission to um, take over his body or... Because I know briefly it also... I think it's more an invitation to enter their house and their life, right? The seance is a ritual to um, yeah. invite Paimon into their life. And then, yeah, then obviously once that happens... Yeah,
0: so basically what happens is um, they do like a practice seance and, and Joan, who is the... Um, who is the friend? Puts up a little show, saying, "Oh, my son is back," but in fact, it is the demon. And then, eventually, uh, when Tony Collette's character Annie takes it back to uh, takes it back to her place, things start to go awry, cause, and spectacularly so, because then you realize that oh, this is not just this, you know this is this is not Charlie, or at least this is something far more sinister, as we alluded to in, earlier on. There's also before we get on there, there's the sequence. There's, there is a small like dreamlight sequence uh, which highlights an issue that Annie has with her son because Annie tends to sleepwalk. If I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. she tends to sleepwalk, and there is a time where she goes and uh, covers her son up in paint thinner, and she stand, and then the son wakes up, and she's standing over his bed with the matchstick, completely oblivious. Yeah. And that is why that is why the son hates the mother because. He feels like that's obviously a it is a Shakespearean tragedy <laughs> at its uh, at its core, and it's all kinds of messed up so when things start to escalate and when the diary burns and Paimon possesses Annie, it cuts to this really terrifying shot of Alex Wolf sleep, and you mm. notice and he's, and it's a wide shot of his room, and you notice if you Pure closely enough, you can see Tony Collette perched up
1: top of, uh, uh, near the ceiling. Uh-huh. So, so and like, then... Like, uh, the, the head snapping apart, Charlie's death apart, whatever has happened so far in the movie apart. I was still, like I get it, it's a horror movie. I'm on board, I'm watching. That moment when... So, I, I distinctly recall the moment, it's got um, Alex Bull's character framed in the center... And then the camera just pans around slowly to the right and the background shifts. And you see in the background, Tony Collett's kind of in the corner of the room. He's he's looking for mom. He's like, he sees his dad burnt to a crisp near the fireplace. He's like, mom, mom. And then the camera pans around and she's in the corner. At that point, I was like, you know what? Fuck this.
0: You know, I, I, funnily enough, like, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but she's been, she was in the corner of his room when he wakes up.
1: So oh, when he,
0: I, I, I'm so, just so then, uneasy so, so again the, right now so so the wide shot of the, mm-hmm. of the scene like it opens up but he gets up and it cuts to a wide shot and he's sitting and if you look at the top left corner Tony Collette is perched like that
1: oh man I mm-hmm. didn't notice this now <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, oh, and okay. I
0: was like because I remember watching this scene and I went Holy fucking shit! Because that's when, and then he turns and you see her crawl out of the room into yeah. the uh, yeah, into it's the horrible, wall. man. Yeah, yeah. Onto the wall she crawls out of the room, and I was like, oh my god! And, and but credit Tony color because when pamon possesses her, when she throws her diary in the fire and Peter burns, you can see that bout of like it, it, it. it, it there's like almost like an electric wave that flows through. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, it happens in the school as well when uh, uh, Alex versus character bangs his face against uh, yeah. the uh, against the, the table. Yeah, and he starts making uh, Charlie, that is the daughter's, clicks, mm. and he 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 starts to he starts to freak out. And then eventually, you and then there's that sequence where Tony and obviously this it culminates in a big chase around the house. And, just, uh, just a
1: point uh, to make before we get to the uh, conclusion in the chase. Uh, a lot of reviews called Hereditary the exorcist of our generation. Mm-hmm. The one aspect where I would kind of very controversial opinion probably in the horror world. One one aspect where I feel exhaust uh, Hereditary has done even better something even better than uh, Exhaustist is that Exorcist is a great movie, no doubt terrifying. But it has it utilizes shock value a lot. Not jump scares, shock value, like her crawling down, upside down the stairs or whatever on the ceiling. And all of those exorcism scenes in the room where the Linda Blair's character uh, says a lot of profane stuff. Uh, a lot of blasphemous yeah, stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So there's it utilizes shock value. Hereditary utilizes just the, it's a mask piece in uh, utilizing the exact amount of shock value like if Tony Collett had been shown for you know one or two minutes crawling on the walls it wouldn't have had the impact it did because it yeah, just it's like a sec- split second glimpse they're just like what the fuck is happening like this is th- this is the most supernatural
0: aspect of it this is like traditionally horror but it is it's traditional horror done right where yeah. there's minimum sound it's just pure visual like it, it's it's contrasting uh, it, it's it, it's like it, it's darkness everywhere. This, there's a faint blue tinge to everything, and yeah. it culminates in this terrifying visual of her floating in the air, uh,
1: slicing hey, her you. own neck yeah. off <laughs> with a piano wire. I was just with, going with to the ask, piano, mm, yeah. Do you play the with, piano of
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore. I don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then this, and that's Actually, when even, we, even before the even before. Oh yeah, we piano. completely forgot. Been, we forgot to mention... And there's one the... more bit
1: where he, he runs up into the attic and he closes the attic door behind him. Yeah. And then you just hear this banging noise. And you're just like, and you know what? Back. She's probably like... She's probably like this banging on the door uh, waiting for him to open. And he's just like, mom. And that, at that point, he says, mommy, uh, please stop mommy. And he's like looking for his mm-hmm. uh, mom. And you know, it's set, set up. And you're just like, okay, she's banging on the door. Cut to her just banging her head on the door and you're again like man if the crawling wasn't bad enough why the fuck is she banging her head on the door like please stop please end you, you just
0: reminded me that when he goes into the attic there's a foul smell in the attic and this is the first time he sees the naked occult member in the house yeah because yeah. there is and also his grandmother's decomposing body they mentioned this the body's been ex, has been uh, pulled out exhumed. of the grave and it's exhumed yeah, yeah. And then you see it lying in the attic. Uh, and that's when well, the, the occult members start to pop up around the house. Yeah, the periphery of the house. And then then you realize, oh, the whole thing is a setup. Because
1: once Tony Collette's dead body floats up into the little treehouse that yeah. they've made... Before you which, just... As you mentioned, she slices her own neck with a piano wire yeah. and she just stares into Alex's soul while she's doing that. She's just deadpan yeah. stare and she's pulling the piano wire back and forth. And it's like, like from the time where that his death, that Peter, uh, Peter's death happens to the end. For me, I remember I was just like, please stop. Like, please, end. <laughs> I can't take this. And every subsequent scene is just the horror and the mindfuckery ratcheting up like, just when you think it can't get any worse, it does, yeah. And you know, just like, Please stop, please end. Like, whatever is the conclusion of the movie, please get there. I like not like, like this
0: anymore. Yeah, I want to get off this ride, I want to get it off Yeah, it. Really? Get off. It. And then you realize that oh, the this entire thing is a setup. There are naked occult members all across the garden and in the little tree house, and you see Charlie's head. <laughs> On uh, on a stick, and then so is the grandmother's dead body, and so is Tony Collette's headless body, and that's when they complete the
1: the ritual, and Alex Wolf is now Peyman. Like I don't even want to talk about. Like I'm tired of talking about hereditary. and I'm, I'm already emotionally. I don't say emotionally like I remember the fear I felt. I'm just like uh, I don't want to talk about this anymore.
0: Uh, I think yeah, we should we should wrap up on Hereditary and move quickly to Midsummer because yes. as much as Hereditary is is scary, Midsummer and you may not have like liked it as much. There are far more elements to talk about in this movie than they are in, in Hereditary. Because yeah, yeah. Midsummer, and I'll and I'll probably take lead on this. Midsummer opens up with the mural, and if you pay close attention to the mural, the entire mm-hmm. plot of the film is mentioned right, in three seasons. <laughs> Midsummer opens up with uh, this couple that are about to break up, and uh, it's there's this, and basically this. Florence view is telling her sister not to create a scene at home, and uh, like and asking her to calm down so her sister's response to this I think her sister is is due to be schizophrenic response to this is she picks up, she tapes a pipe to, uh, she starts the car in her garage, tapes a pipe to it carries it up to her parents room places it in there cellophane tapes the entrance to their room so that no air escapes and then she takes the other end of the pipe and cellophane tapes it to her face so in one swift move, she kills herself by carbon monoxide poisoning and her parents as well. And that is a terrifying visual because you, get, you first get the news of what happened and then you see the police break into the house or like the police and the firemen break into the house.
1: Yeah, and, yeah.
0: and then you follow the pipe, you follow the pipe and the parents are obviously not non-responsive. Still not well, the most I mean. terrifying visual. Then you go to yeah. the sister's room and then you see her face and, and then you see the pipe on uh, cellophane tape to her face with like her veins popping through her. Uh, yeah, and there's
1: some decomposition and yeah. thrombosis at play.
0: And then you can still hear Florence Poo's wares in the background as it cuts into yeah. the snow outside. And then you see in the, very, in, in the faintest of light, the title pop up.
1: I think right at that point, I was like, yeah, I know, I'm in an Ari to movie now. <laughs> As the, I, you could sense that the relationship she has with, with Danny, is that, what, is that her boyfriend's name? No, Danny is her, My boyfriend is Char- sorry, Charlie. Sorry, Danny is her. No. Charlie, yeah. Charlie, Charlie is his name, Danny is oh.
0: hers. Hi, Abhin from the future here. Now, I have no idea why we kept calling him Charlie when in fact his name is Christian. So we're going to jet our mind trick you into thinking that we actually called him Christian all along. So if you ever hear the name Charlie at any point during this episode, just know that we're actually saying Christian. Now back to the show. You you can tell now that Danny and Charlie are about to call it uh, call it off, but because he he feels guilty about having to do it, because what's like obviously a great personal tragedy, and that kind of pushes the relationship a little further on. And I'm kind of and then you, there are about three characters that 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 follow, and they all play integ- integral parts. There's there's Teller, who is the guy who takes mm-hmm. them to uh, whose family lives in in the little coven that they're going to. There's Charlie and then there is uh, there's Will, who is the famous most famous of the bunch. He's
1: what's his name, dude? He's, he's the in band. the good place. He's in isn't Bandersnatch. Oh no. Oh, no, Will is his Will Polter is the actor. He plays Mark. Yeah, huh, Mark,
0: yeah, sorry, Will Poulter. Uh and then yeah, the, the guy in the good place is also what you're referring to. Yeah, I know
1: who you're talking about. I don't know and his the, name. I I just called him Cheedy throat the movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and eventually um, so the and he's about to go on like Charlie's about to go on a trip with his friends and in, in the last minute edition they decide to take Danny as well and throughout like in the flight uh, like she there's this sequence where she goes to the bathroom to cry and she opens the door and she's in the flight and I, I love that beautiful Amazing transition, transition. Yeah. beautiful transition and and as we alluded to there's a fair bit of Munchausen's influence on this uh, on this particular film. Like, it's short in broad daylight. They get to this very idyllic little uh, town where people are celebrating. And it, it seems like it's all white dresses and, and and flowy locks. And there are two other friends, Simon and Nina. No. Nicole. Simon and si- Nicole. Yeah. So there are two other friends, Simon and Nicole, who also... Or like, they, they're just there. They've come separately and they're all looking to take part in, in the festivities. I watched this film, like, a very long time ago. I... I think you have more recent thoughts. Take it away. What what messed you up? What was uh the most bizarre?
1: How how long do you have <laughs> what messed me up? <laughs> we'll but keep. uh so the first of the see, obviously I uh, having been wiser uh, after watched after having watched uh, hereditary, I knew some mindfuckery was afoot foot uh, for sure but i think the first of it starts when they show the the ceremony of atistupa which is mm-hmm. which is a real ceremony in nordic culture obviously mm-hmm. not practiced today that would be criminal but uh, oh. in medieval <clears throat> in the medieval nordics you would have the ceremony where the oldest people in society who were being more of a burden weren't being able to contribute as much uh, used to jump off a cliff and give up their life thereby you know making it easier for the larger society to function so they have the same thing here you have uh, the artist who are being carried out and you have people who they so they have the this whole system that they explain that life is divided into four quadrants of 18 years so people above the age of 72 uh, are people who kind of commit this uh Ritual ritualistic suicide to keep the society uh, easy to maintain or whatever. So there's a scene where these two old people, one one male, one female, commit the artist up a ritual suicide. And again, Aaryastra doesn't shy away visually from showing uh, how that realistically realistically would look. The lady falls on her face, and her face is pancaked for <laughs> lack of a better term. <laughs> and the guy doesn't have as much of a clean ending. Again, like, why does he have to do this to us? You have the guy jump, just die. No, the guy falls, <laughs> breaks his leg. Then somebody comes with a hammer and like smashes their head. I think, why was that necessary? You just have to put people through the ringer. Like, I, I don't know why he does that, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, right off the bat, and I and I made the stupid decision of having dinner while watching this movie. <laughs> 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 I don't know how I kept my food down. Like, I'm literally putting a morsel of food in my mouth. He's hammering the guy's head. I'm just like, what's happening? (laughs) So so that happens. And uh, then increasingly crazier things happen. And psychedelics, psychedelic drugs, be it mushrooms, be it psychedelic tea. Psychedelics at large play a big role in the narrative because the whole pagan cult that is kind of living in this uh, the Swedish hinterlands there. Mm-hmm. They're very com- comfortable with psyched like, it's it's a part of their culture. They're comfortable mm-hmm. with having that and speaking to people dancing. In fact, uh towards the end of the movie when Florence Pugh has to take part in the the May Queen dance, uh she's made to drink these uh, these psychedelic the psychedelic tea before that. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, an interesting scene where they show she feels like she's conversing in, in Swedish. With mm-hmm. a fellow dancer, and uh, you, as the viewer, know it's it's likely that it's the tea making her feel that way. But mm-hmm. the conversation goes on sufficiently long in Swedish to the point where you start questioning uh, the movie itself, mm-hmm. and it the, what what's happening kind of makes you question, and you, you're, the doubt is starting to grow in your mind. You don't know where to draw the line. What's happening? What's not happening? Mm-hmm. So, in a, in a way, you're you're a part of that trip. So, um, so that, that's again, so through the movie, I I think once the artist two part takes place, it's kind of established that, you know, fucked up things are going to happen. Mm -hmm. Get ready. And it starts ratcheting up, um, one by one people start disappearing. Um, so two things, right. Two things, uh, that kind of took me out of the experience of the movie. One, there does not seem to be sufficient questioning of people's disappearance, when mm-hmm. mark disappears the rest of them are like yeah he this girl went uh, came up to him and said i want to show you something and she'd been hitting on him so mark kind of it's implied that mm-hmm. mark went to get laid fine mm-hmm. i mean on the day off you can assume that the next day also everyone's like yeah mark's missing and like nobody seems he leaves right seems to no, no, that's Simon and Nicole. So, Simon and mm. Nicole, they say, they make up some story that they got dropped to the station. And those two, after Atastupa, they decided we don't want to be here. They make mm. up some story and say Simon and Nicole have left. The Chidi's also kind of hit over and, and What What do they do with his body? I'm not sure. I know what they
0: do with uh, the rest. I'm not sure what they do with Chidi's body. But yeah, but, but when he... He's also toward- yeah, but when they uh, when he goes, I think he goes back. They tell him so. I think they all commit acts that eventually get them murdered, right? Because they wait for things to happen. So right, Mark commits. Right, right. So Mark pees on the sacred bark. There's a guy who's very intrigued by the the, the work that they do. There is, we of course I, f- I forgot to mention the they have an oracle-like figure in uh, yeah. in there uh, that lives in a particular place and that writes certain mm. uh, things. And then when this guy goes to read the book he's approached by the guy who took offense to Mark uh, peeing on the bark but that I mean, guy is wearing Mark's skin.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And um, that was I mean obviously this, the artist the thing happens and we all recall in our seats because it's just like oh my god what the fuck because it, it's like when, when, the, when the ladies face pancakes are like okay at least the worst is done and then the guy goes and obviously it's stretched out you can see the bone and you can see yeah you know, this, man it's just, it, it's just, it's disgusting. And you're like, oh, and it, up to that point, there's no indication of, I mean, obviously there's the opening sequence, which is terrifying. There's no gore. And hmm. and then like bit by bit, you start like, things start to get really uneasy. Like the, like the,
1: like yeah.
0: the whole uh, temple sequence where uh, the guy shows up wearing Mark's skin. And then there's, you can hear, I think you can hear Nicole being drowned. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. You can hear Nicole being drowned and uh, and that and that's when there are little like there are little things to that to unnerve you. And True. at the same time another thing I noticed is that all the the fates of each character is predestined depending on where they sleep. Uh if you if you watch the like when they go into the little barn that they're staying in, you notice that behind uh, Danny's bed, there is, the, the the May Queen ritual is happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Behind mm-hmm. Charlie's bed, there's the bear being set on fire. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, so there is, so there are like, each character is given a particular place to sleep depending on whom, what their fate is. Uh, oh, what, what fate planned they planned for them. Yeah, what they've planned for them. And I noticed this the second, mm-hmm. time. I actually paid attention to it the first time, but I was like, okay, I'm, I'll see what happens. The second time I watched it, I said, oh, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I can see where this is going. And then, if what happens is there's this one girl that has been really trying to get with, like, has been giving Charlie the eyes, so to speak. Mm. And then you realize, and, and the pubes. Because, oh yeah. Oh yes, of course. Yeah, she puts it in the uh,
1: drink, right? His, no, no, his chicken pot pie or whatever. Yeah. I guess, or, yeah. Um, I don't know what that serves. Mm. Like, mm. what that serves to the narrative, I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm a little disappointed. And my interpretation where it was something put in for shock value, I didn't expect yeah. that from Mary mm-hmm. Aston. Oh, yeah. But, but that
0: the conclusion of that love story so that love little love story is uh, terrifying because I think Charlie is also given a significant amount of
1: drugs during the May Queen uh, sequence. Yes. To a and a bad trip is induced in him. The guy that yeah. claps and mm-hmm. people are not treating him right. They want him to be mind fucked. Yeah. So, and then and, uh, they guide him
0: to uh, to this girl. And like, and it's part of a
1: ritual where somebody pushes mi- his ass for some reason.
0: <laughs> no, the, the thing is they want him to like plant his seed in. Like, I think it's a ritual where they get one outsider to plant a seed in yeah. there. Because so there's there is a history of incest in that community and it's causing them to have a lot of like, you know, uh, issues with, with the children. So they just keep bringing outsiders in to um, prevent that problem. So
1: right, right. this
0: is their way of subverting that issue. And which is why when they push him in, <laughs> it is to make sure that he gets, I don't know,
1: apologized. Uh, apologize. Stop saying listeners. plant is seed. Are you from medieval England, Don't Just say... <laughs> Yo, impregnate if my folks, that sounds better. okay fine yeah fine if they want to like obviously make sure that which, which again again oh shit it just struck me right at the start of the movie they say think of all the girls you can impregnate in Sweden <laughs> it's a throwaway line which is realized in terrifying effect <laughs> in the end of the movie and there's a. I remember watching this in the
0: theater, and there's like a chorus of, or you know, people see like you know, like naked ladies. Oh, okay, Morning. the theater, yeah, yeah. And the theater just bursts out into laughter. Like there is, there yeah. is lot. and like there, there is someone shrieking. Someone has walked out the door. I am holding my face in a corner. I'm just like, what is happening? And like people are like <laughs> roaring with laughter.
1: Like you could, you know, when you're you're so scared, but you're also like having a great time with it. That's what
0: midsummer was
1: like. um, Hereditary is out and out scary. Midsummer is in that space, so there is a spectrum on the. There's a space on the horror spectrum where, like you said, you laugh out of fear, or you laugh because something is scary, but it's also equal parts incredulous and it's bizarre. So, do you take that bizarreness with fear, or you take it with laughter? I also, so there are parts in the movie which make you laugh. But if you look at it in isolation, you don't really understand why you're laughing at it. But yeah. in the moment you are... Yeah, uh, it's like... It's, I, I totally get that.
0: I think it, it incites very strange reactions out of its audience. I think that's that's the best way of putting this. Yeah. Um, and then eventually, uh, I think Danny is also coalesced to go find Charlie doing what he's doing and mm-hmm. then there's that whole outpouring of grief she has with the rest of the May Queen uh, participants or like, like a little troop that follows her everywhere and when she cries they are also crying and, just, and it's her letting go of all those emotions all that baggage <gasps> And the whole thing is like I still believe the whole thing was constructed by that jackass Pella. Because Pella. Uh, long
1: does, yeah, con yeah it's her. a long
0: con Yeah, it's a long con, basically a long con to get her. And then when they make her the May Queen, and when when Charlie's done doing what he's doing, they put him in a in a skinned bag costume. But through, before all of this, I think just before Charlie gets sucked into this, he discovers Simon win and also. Uh, a very terrifying yeah. visual. Uh, it's what is it called? It's called a Viking something.
1: Yeah, I've forgotten. But basically, eagle, <laughs> some eagle something. That it's called. Mm. Um, he's so. half played, and his lungs are pulled out, and he the lungs are moving. They yeah. the camera makes it a point for you to see that the lungs are moving, so he's still technically alive. Terrifying visual. But that's sure. the, that's the second bit that I kind of took issue with uh, with the movie. For one, obviously, like I said. I people's reactions to the situation didn't gel with me. They didn't seem to like be bothered by uh, subsequent disappearances. So that felt a really little unrealistic. Second, I didn't understand at which point Danny went from observing things and she also had her reservations with what was going on, right? It wasn't like she was wholeheartedly participating in it. In the course of just the May, May, May Queen dance, just in the course of that, suddenly she goes from a skeptic, very roughly mm-hmm. speaking, to somebody who is like enjoying herself. She embraces it. That felt a little rushed for me, so I couldn't really connect to that. But these were, at now that I think of it, at the core of it, the two main issues why I couldn't enjoy the movie as much as okay. I could.
0: Mm-hmm. But yeah, and then that ends with... Um, then you, then they they bring out all the dead bodies and put them in,
1: uh, <laughs> up for display. Macabre Smithsonian exhibit.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then they put uh, Charlie in the
1: middle in in a bear costume and burn the house down. And I, I see you you do you dislike Charlie for being a bad boyfriend in the sense yeah. he is manipulative. He he does gaslight her. Gaslighting is a big theme in the movie, yeah. and he's generally a weak-willed individual. Even with the way he confronts Chidi about I'm just going to keep calling him Chidi, <laughs> even with the way he confronts Chidi about his of uh, about stealing his thesis uh, topic, mm-hmm. um, he's not a he's not a great individual. Mm-hmm. I, but he was kind of coaxed into the entire ritual that took place, so I can't place that blame on him. So, yeah. keeping that out of the equation, he didn't deserve to be burnt alive in inside a bear carcass. Anyway, very few people deserve to be burnt alive, inside alive in a, of, a bear yeah. carcass in
0: in the midst of your flayed friends. Badly. Yeah, <laughs> so,
1: but in Ari Aster's
0: world, if you break up, this is the this is the consequences you have to suffer. <laughs> it's either
1: the bed or the basement. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think on that note, uh, we'll we'll wrap this episode up.
1: So, uh, yeah. any last thoughts on Ari Aster or his basement? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've exhausted all I have to say about Ari Aster. I think he's a master of bringing out our our deepest, most uncomfortable you know the when we say lizard brain and you have yeah. these subconscious base emotions mm. he has the he has the ability to kind of tap into those and then turn the screws really turn the screws and uh, get to you at a fundamental level which is i feel even us talking about the the for the duration that we have even talking about his filmography has kind of got me drained not just physically but mentally yeah, emotionally. yeah like, I, I feel you dude I I totally feel you I it's not you. an easy experience it's so not that, also that's, that's, yeah. that's credit to him
0: So, I, I'm very intrigued to see what he does next because I think he's one of the few original directors that we have today so I think that brings a wrap to the episode we'll be back for next week's episode uh, with a topic which we'll probably tease <laughs> at the start of the week I guess so stay tuned uh, stick around
1: we will see you soon Yeah, and I think right now I'm just going to go watch some Teletubbies to kind of scrub this entire experience or this reliving of this experience off of my mind. But yeah, other than that, that's it from us. Anyway, uh, take care, guys. We'll speak to you soon.